Good to see everyone here today, um, and uh, we, Pastor John said it so well that um, we celebrate together and we, um, you know, mourn together, um, and uh, so uh, we are definitely praying for um, uh, Cindy's family and Kel's family as well um, during this difficult time, and pray that... Um, it would be an encouragement for us all as well and uh, to um, be faithful to the Lord and all that we do um, and uh, to really live with the, the hope of heaven always and uh, don't let uh, other things really get in the way uh, so much and um, understand what is important. You know, we um, are starting this new um, study through Joshua for the rest of uh, or until just about Easter into April. And, uh, uh, you know, one of the thoughts about this book and that I wanted to share with us is this idea of all of us being totally devoted to God. Um, I mean, 100% fully devoted to God. And I hope that 2017 will be a year where all of us are fully devoted to God. Um, and, you know, this is true for almost everything. I mean, the trivial little things, the hobbies, the fun things, and the relationships, and all things that the more devoted you are, the more you enjoy it, uh, the more you get out of it, um, uh, the better it is in a way. You know, you think about um, even hobbies, right? You think about and our, our great worship team, they come up and they play, and, you know, I, I envy them because they enjoy the process, you know? Uh, it's very different than when my kids were doing a piano recital and their just only thing is concentration, you know, and they're trying to figure it out. But they're enjoying it because there's been a lot of devoted time into this. And whether it's someone who is into dance or someone who is into music or sports, um, when they are excellent at it and they have devoted themselves to it, we look at them and we say, wow, that's, that's, they enjoy it. They naturally enjoy it. And it is so good that we will go pay money to go watch them, to watch them professionals enjoy because they're so good at it in whatever they do. Um, and so, you know, whatever it is that we are devoted to, we enjoy even more. You know, when I had my very first job, way back in the day, um, my manager, um, he was a big coffee guy. And this was, um, you know, before Starbucks was even around. This is when coffee meant, you know, is it Folgers or, you know, are you going to go to the, you know, coffee shop? I mean, it, there was no fancy things, really. Um, and I remember he was a big coffee guy, and I'd get to work in the morning, and he would always brew a pot just for our team. It was only five of us or so. And he brew a pot, and he was like, you know, try it. And he would be in this coffee club where he would get a, a different type of coffee from different, a different part of the world each month, and so he would brew this and say, try this. But the way he drank coffee was very different from the way I drank coffee. I drank it just to wake me up and, like, I need to go. It was more like medicine. Um, for him, he enjoyed it, so he would, you know, drink it, and he would be like, he would use words like, um, oh, you know, the aroma, you know, what do you think about the aftertaste, or, um, you know, the fruitiness of it, and try this one, it's, it's, it's got a spiciness to it, and I would say, I, I don't know about any of that, but, you know, do you have any cream or sugar, and he said, no, you cannot, he's like, Steve, no, you cannot put cream and sugar in this, and I'm like, oh, it's so bitter, you know, and, um, I didn't know what I was doing. So he enjoyed it far more than I did. Um, and that's really true, even in our relationships and important things. 
right? The, the spouse that loves their spouse with everything enjoys their marriage even more. The parent who puts more into the child enjoys their parent even more. The friend who is the best of friends and is very kind and good to their friend uh, enjoys their friend even more. And it is the same thing at work. There are those people who love their work and work hard at their work. They enjoy the fruit of their work even more. And of course, with the important things, the most important thing with God, the person who is more devoted to God in, somehow enjoys God even more. You know, last week we had uh, Robert come and share from Japan. It's always nice to have a missionary come because it kind of puts things in perspective again for us. Um, but, you know, someone who is out there in the mission field, their career is part of who God is and what God is. They tend to somehow enjoy God more. It doesn't mean that their circumstances are easier. It doesn't mean that life is better over there. It's more comfortable there. No, they're dealing with bouts of loneliness and fatigue and uh, difficult things all throughout. And yet, somehow they enjoy it. And so I want us to enjoy this year by being fully devoted to God. Total devotion. Please don't go, you know, uh, 50%. Don't just do the bare minimum. And sometimes we treat the things of God like we do the things at school where it's like, what's the minimum I need to do to pass this thing? Or what's the minimum I need to do to just get into heaven? Or just spend time. And I want you to love God, with a total devotion, I want you to be generous to God and others in a total devoted way. I want you to love others in your life in a total devoted way. I want you to read and study the Bible in a fully devoted way and see how much more you enjoy God. And we see here um, this wonderful text, right, that we read in verse 1 through 9. He's calling uh, Joshua to a fully devoted life and you know we'll get to the end of it but in chapter 24 at the end there's that famous um, part where he says here right he tells Joshua at the end of his life in verse 14 now therefore the Lord uh, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness put away the gods that your father served um, and serve the Lord right and at the end in verse 15 but as for me and my house we will serve the Lord and so he kind of he closes with that whole thought of being totally devoted. And he closes his life. So chapters 1 through 24 is a description of him trying to do this. And the ones we love, our loved ones, don't they de deserve our total devotion? Of course they do. Then the one who loves us the most, God himself, doesn't he deserve our total devotion? Of course he does. And so we want to understand that in this way, why are we reluctant? Why are we hesitant to be totally devoted? I think even in hobbies or at work or whatever it is, we're afraid of failure. We're afraid we're not going to finish it. We're afraid it's not going to be as good, that I'm not going to be as good in it. And here I think Joshua faces the same thing and he reminds him to be strong and courageous. It's interesting, you know, just the background on this as we get into Joshua. As a lot of you know, Joshua is uh, the successor for Moses. Moses, when you picture Moses, what do you picture? You picture uh, a big figure, you know, a deep, loud voice, wise, older man. I picture white hair, a big beard, you know, like a booming voice. And everyone's like, Moses, you know, what should I eat for? You know, like he would tell me everything, like, 
Should I have chicken? Should I have what do you want me to do, Moses? And he would have that authority and be able to make decisions. Joshua was a soldier. He was faithful at being told what to do, but now he's in a situation where he has to tell people what to do. It starts in verse 2 by painting the backdrop of this book. This was the worst of times for him to take this job. He says in verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. The whole nation is mourning. Joshua's mentor, Joshua's confidant, Joshua's um, boss, in a way, is gone. He was a source of wisdom. Should I do this? Should I do that? And it was all answered by Moses. He's gone. This was the worst of times. The people followed Moses for 40 years in the wilderness, for 40 years. They're the only, he was the only voice that they knew throughout the whole exodus, and now he's gone. Who would want to fill that job? Not, no one, none of us. If, if we looked at it as a job and someone came to you, hey, you know, the, the founder, the leader, the one everyone listened to, he's gone. You want to take his spot? Uh, no, not me. All right? That's, I'm doomed for failure. There's no way. And now he calls Joshua in the harshest of times to go do this mission. And this couple weeks, I've been getting uh, emails and contact from people within a, a, a church you know, with the loss of loved ones, of, uh, of difficult times that they're going through, um, health issues with their kids, uh, issues with work. And it's just been, generally speaking, a difficult time. And th those have been the, kind of the prayers um, that I've had for our church. But it, yet it's in the middle of this that we're called to be bold and courageous and to go. Uh, don't we all say this, that now is not really a good time? You know, I, I catch myself saying this. You know, God, you want me to do this now? Like, not right now. Like, I'm in the middle of a project. My kids aren't fully grown up yet. I still got a lot of things I need to take care of. And once life settles down, I'll do what you want. This is really the, the most inconvenient of times where Moses is gone and now Joshua is called. And what does he call him to do? Now, therefore, rise and go over this Jordan, the Jordan River. Um, scholars have pointed out about the Jordan River, of how deep this river is. So it's not a river you go and play in. It's not knee deep. You don't go you know, fishing and hang out and wade in it. No, it's a deep, deep river. Um, and one of the um, commentaries on this says it's there's a deep gorge in the bottom and it's called it was called the earth's deepest valley that was a nickname given to where the Jordan River was and not only was it that deep it was now the the depths of it was accentuated by the mountain peaks that were alongside so just to get to the Jordan River you'd have to climb the hills and the mountains and this you know manages terrain to get down if you could keep your footing and it seems like the river is so far down and so deep and he says you're going to take him so in the harshest of times in the most uncertain of times he says you're going to go cross the Jordan and maybe God is calling you to cross some kind of Jordan in our in your life in our lives and you're like, there's no way. It doesn't make sense. That is way too deep, way too hard. How am I going to do this? And he says, don't worry about it. Be strong and courageous. Because Moses, who you think was so great, he says in verse 2, he was only my servant. He was my servant. So it doesn't matter if there's a 
a figure in our lives that represented something, that represented security, and when they are gone, God says, yeah, they might have passed, but I'm still here. If you've grown up in the church, and I did, um, you know, and I think about um, being in high school, what church was like, and I think about the leaders of those days. I think about what church was like, and some of you have memories if you grew up in the church. And you say, hey, it's kind of, for some of, a lot of us, it's sad because that era is gone. People have retired and passed on. The churches have changed completely. A lot of them have shrunk or gone away. And we could dwell in that and say, ah, oh, it's tough. But God says, well, the people are changing. You, you will be gone one day. But the mission is the same and God is still here. And so we want to take that to heart here. He tells them to arise, arise now, and go. And uh, he calls them to do that, and he reminds them to take courage, to be strong. And he says this several times, four times total. I want to just highlight three of them. Be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. He reminds them of this. Why can we be strong and courageous as we face the Jordans of our lives? Number one is God will use you to do his will. God will empower you to do his will. Uh, look at verse 6, if you would. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. There's a little phrase here. He says, be strong and courageous. Why? For you shall cause this people. And God says, I'm going to use you. I will use you to do this. Any of us with uh, any amount of um, sober thinking will know and always feel, I, I can't do this. You know, I'm not qualified for this. And really, the longer we live, the more we feel that way often. I, I don't know how to raise teenage girls. You know, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to run uh, this kind of work or business or whatever we're doing. But yet, he said, I'm going to do this through you. I'm going to do it sometimes in spite of you. And he does it in this way. You know, when you get to 1 Corinthians... And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, um, 26, he talks about the different people he's called. And this is what Paul says about all of us who are called by God. He says, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. He's, saying, he's pointing this out. And this is true in all through scripture. You were kind of below average and God still is using you. Like you weren't, he didn't pick you because you were noble or you were wise. In the worldly standards, you weren't all that. But God chooses us in that way, and he says, I will use you. And that's a humbling thought, because it puts us in our perspective that, God, I, I, I am a finite being. I, there's not much I could do. God, what am I going to do? And yet in the midst of it, God says, well, I want to use you to do this. Your weakness is going to be proof that I am the one doing this. And so he says, be strong and courageous. I'm going to use you to do this. What are you hesitating for? I will use you. You shall cause this people to inherit the land. Secondly, God guides us to success. Well, how, can, how can we be um, strong and courageous? He guides us to success. He guides us. It says, verse 7, only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. 
Verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. It's interesting here, right? Because he, he tells us here um, that you will be prosperous. He says here, here's my word. I give you my word. Um, take the word. Don't turn from it to the right or to the left. Take my word. Meditate on it. And he says, I will get you there. Um, and so he tells us to, to do this. And um, he says here in verse 8, it's kind of interesting, right? You shall meditate on it day and night that you will be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Then you will make your way prosperous. Prosperous. So it doesn't mean like if I read the Bible, I'm going to be rich, you know, or I'll find money. You know, there's stories like that. Oh, I read the Bible and my mom, you know, snuck money in and I found it. And, you know, there's sermon illustrations like that. And I'm like, my mom never put money in my Bible, you know. Um, but is that what it means? No. The word prosperous there is, is it's interesting. It also means to be wise, like to be, live a prudent life. So someone who is prosperous, someone who lives in a right way, who does the right things. And when that accumulates, they have now habits in life, and you say, boy, they're prosperous, they're doing really well. It doesn't mean that you, you know, we're not talking about a, um, you know, a prosperity type of gospel. If I do this, God gives me money. But what it's saying is God tells me how to live, and if I do what he says, there's a sense of success there. There's a sense of living in this way. You know, in Proverbs 10.5, that word that is transferred uh, translated prosperous is used and it's used as prudent it says he who gathers in summer is a prudent son also prosperous you know he gathers when it's time to gather is prudent is prosperous and so we want to understand that and he says here you shall meditate on it day and night the word meditate in the original language, and one commentator pointed this out, it's a <clears throat> onomatopoeia, it's a, it's a word haga, and it's a word that means barely audible, like words that are barely out of your mouth, like a, a murmur, a mumble, haga, haga, haga. And so you would picture some rabbi, you know, praying or reciting the words, haga, 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 haga. And so they use that word, and he's saying, don't, you know, meditate on the word. Don't let it depart from your mouth. Let it come forth from your mouth and see what happens. I wanted to share with you this story about um, uh, someone who lived in this way, George Mueller. Some of you know about him. George Mueller uh, was born in uh, 1805, um, and he lived until 1898, 92 years, almost lived a full century there. George Mueller is uh, revered amongst Christians. As we look back in history because of all that he did in England during his short time, um, relative to, from God's perspective. Um, George Mueller uh, pastored a church for 60-some years, one church. George Mueller, during that time, had a burden for the orphans that were in England. So he had a vision to start orphanages. And so he starts these orphanages. And it wasn't because he was a, a rich man and had a lot of resources. He was just a man of faith, and he, God called him. So he would go and do this. And as he would go and do this, um, it's interesting. One of the uh, um, biographers says, before he started the orphanages, in England, all of England, only 3,000-some 
uh, orphans were housed in orphanages. The rest were in prisons and they were out and about. After, at the end of his life, George Mueller had housed 10,000 orphans. And one of the, the, the things that make it so um, special is that um, he wasn't rich and he never personally went and solicited money. And he, one of the things he did was he, he read the Bible, they say, 200 times in his lifetime. And so he would spend time in the Word, and then he would go and attempt great things, as if God were really guiding him along the way. And uh, A.T. Pearson, uh, who wrote a biography about him, he talks about Mueller as someone who devised large and liberal things for the Lord, big things. He tried big things for the Lord, and he did it. And all, many would uh, equate this. Where does he get the power to do this? Where does he get the courage to do this? How did he accomplish this? It was by the time that he spent in the Word. And some of us think this way. We think, well, I, we, we identify ourselves and we try to live out that identity. We say, well, I'm not, I'm not George Mueller. I'm not a missionary. I'm not a, you know, really a super Christian. So I just kind of behave like it. You know, like I'll just kind of read a little, you know, church, yeah, bulletin, I'll, I'll read a little. Um, but what we have to do is understand our true identity. And really, Mueller's identity came from the word that he read. So as he spent time in God's word, as he took that in, that transformed him into a man of God, someone of faith. And so as we spend time and we say, I'm going to, man, I'm going to go all in on this. I'm going to pray as if my life depended on it. I'm going to read the word as if it is God's voice himself. And I'm going to spend time and I'm going to do this. It then changes us. And so we want to keep that in perspective. And thirdly, um, God is with us every step of the way. And that is the reason why we can now be strong and courageous. He's with us. He could have, could he have, could God, the creator of all the, the Jordan River and everything else, could have told Joshua, um, let, I changed my mind, let's have you just not cross and just settle here, this will be your home. He could have done that. Could he have supernaturally somehow uh, gotten rid of the Jordan River? Yeah, he could have. But somehow he says, I'm going to have you go through the hardship, I'm going to have you go through the trial, but I want you to be strong and courageous because I go with you. And that theme is all throughout the Bible, that he is with us. Verse 9, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Wherever you go, he goes with us. In the Old Testament, he came in the form of the cloud um, and lightning to Moses and a whirlwind to Job and he comes in the New Testament in the form of a baby and he says come come to me come and approach me now come and be with me now in this way a couple of verses I want to highlight for us as we close Psalm 27 1 if we could read that out loud together could we read that uh, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 23, 4. 
Even though, let's read that out loud, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that it is the Lord, your labor is not in vain. And lastly, Ephesians 6, 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. As you say those words, I'm going to ask you to believe those words. And this year, I want us to be fully devoted to the Lord. Let's us as a church be fully devoted and give all we can to him. And see the joy that produces. We'll see this as we go on in the book of Joshua. Let's pray together. We give you thanks, O Lord, that you call us to do such um, tasks that we cannot do, that only you do through us. So only you get the glory. So, Lord, we want to do our best. You gave so much to us to be with us. So we want to, Lord, uh, go and seek you. Some of us are facing the Jordan rivers of our lives. And it looks so steep and deep and daunting. And we still hear your voice say, do not be afraid. Be strong and courageous and go. So with you next to us, your word guiding us, you empowering us, we face this year with great hope. We thank you, God. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.